In the beginning, God, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without, was, was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a ferment in the midst of the waters, and let, the, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the ferment, which divided the waters, which were under the ferment, from the waters which were above the ferment, and it was so. And God called the ferment heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heaven be, heavens be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit trees that yield fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons, and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens, to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures, and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded, according to their kind, and every winged bird, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth.
And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of, of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had done, and rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and, and sanctified it, because in it he... He rested from all his work which God had created and made. You may be seated. Good morning, this fine Lord's Day. We are in Genesis 1, as you just heard. The text of chapter 1 is a narration of the creation of the universe, and that is the meaning of the expression, the heavens and the earth. Hebrew language, having uh, no single word for the thought of the universe. So leading up to verse 26, the incremental daily progress moves steadily toward the preparation of the earth for life, and then population of the earth with with, uh, creatures. Heaven and earth Light, division of waters, stars and planets, division of land and sea, and a beautiful ecology of plant life, and a vast array of creatures in sea and sky. Throughout this portion of the text, God says, let there be, or let the earth bring forth. God speaks the heavens, the earth, the earth's furnishings and creatures into existence out of nothing. As confirmed by Hebrews 11.3, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. But when we get to verse 26, the language changes. We find that God says, not let there be, but let us make. Now, God takes counsel with himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, They're preparing to create mankind, his crowning creation. And this is our focus this morning, verses 26 and 27. We'll endeavor to uh, stay focused. There there is so much here. That's that way in a lot of places, but it seems especially so here. But we want to focus on the distinction in creation here. I'm going to read 26 and 27 again. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
So let's consider verse 26. Let us make man in our image, according to our, our likeness, it starts. Image, likeness. What is the meaning of that language? I believe Genesis 5 at least can shed some light. Verse 1 and verse 3 out of chapter 5 I'll read. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his own image and named him Seth. So we can at least see that from that short passage, it seems very intentional that those words were used there, doesn't it? Adam's often considered the son of God, not capital S, but God created him, the first man, in his own image, after his own likeness. And then he Bible speaks of Seth being after Adam's own image and likeness. So, even though we know that God is spirit, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So, he has not created a spirit in creating Adam, but he certainly has created a spiritual being. So, Let's just consider the word image. What what is the point of an image? Isn't the point of an image the original? If something is an image, its only purpose for existence is to point to the original. Some examples that I think... These are three examples I came up with that I I think illustrate each one of them uh, different aspects. One is a king's signet ring. Often it would be used to seal important documents. You might remember when Daniel was put in the lion's den, the king's signet ring sealed the door. Uh, it, it speaks of authority, but it's an image, the reverse image of the ring, whatever is engraved on there. So whenever someone sees that, that imprint, they recognize where it came from and the authority there. Uh, we have lots of photos uh, in our culture. And if we have a, I have a picture of my, my family, my wife and children, at my office. And when I look at that, it reminds me of them. And I can think of each one, maybe lift up a prayer for them. But wouldn't it be odd if I, if I related to that picture, if I had it in my possession at home and was just really... That was where my focus was, and I had my family all around me. That would be odd, wouldn't it? 
Because the point of the picture is to remind of the real. And another one, uh, you probably could guess that this one would be inescapable, uh, an icon on a computer screen. Because actually that's what that word is, the, the, the Greek translation of the New Testament. It's the word used, uh, for the word from which we get the word icon. So when you're looking at a computer screen and there's an icon, uh, you move the mouse over and you click on it. What do you expect to happen? I, I think what you don't expect to happen is for that, that icon to, be, to, to kind of blow up extra zoomed in and you're staring at the icon. No, you, you expect that icon to take you somewhere. It's, it's pointing to some, a real application. It just, it's representative So just each one of those supplying an aspect of image. And many have considered the in our image, according to our likeness, as whether they are uh, specifically you know, different or, or same or, or modifying. I, I, don't, I don't find that terribly helpful or important actually to even consider that. I'm just acknowledging because if you read, you'll, you'll encounter that. So uh, basically I think we can, by looking at what God intended for Adam to do and just looking at the, the word of God in total, uh, we can learn, I think, a lot more about a working knowledge of what God would have us understand and do as a result. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 records how God formed Adam from the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. This, above all else, sets man apart from the lower creatures. With the breath of God, Adam was alive in a way that transcended animal life. He was a living being, a spiritual being, made in the image and likeness of God. Which is to say, Adam bore characteristics and capabilities that reflected the nature and glory of God. And perhaps purpose that God had. I'm sure that God had in mind good works for Adam to do. We cannot help but recall the text from last week, Ezekiel 37, when God commanded Ezekiel to prophesy a second time. This time it was to the breath, to fill what had been only dry bones, but was now fully restored people as a result of the first prophecy. The result then was a vast army standing on their feet, ready to accomplish the purpose of God by the power of a new covenant life. We can see that that's what it's talking about, though it's also talking about Israel, a time to come later. But throughout that whole text is much discussion of, of, of the new covenant. God giving life to dead people. So our text is today, the correlation to Genesis Uh, 2-7 from Ezekiel 37 is striking. So the text of 
Genesis 1.26, which is our focus, taken together with Genesis 2.7, which elaborates on the creation of man. It points to the breath of God that made Adam a living soul. That's the primary source of the unique characteristics of being made in God's image. And we can see, too, from the text that it was connected to Adam exercising dominion in the earth. It's said, as it were, in one breath, that Adam is made in the the image, likeness of God, and God says, and let them have dominion over everything else that he has just accomplished. And that's another thing to note is that though we find throughout the word that creation gives glory to God, just his works, his wondrous works are amazing. So we don't discount that, but I think we ought to also notice that all that God has done has set the stage for the creation of man. It's a habitat. It's it's a place for his dominion. It's a place under God's dominion at a larger scale. It, It calls to mind the beautiful passage when when the Roman centurion comes to Jesus and the disciples are all concerned because he's a Roman soldier and he's requesting on behalf of his servant and he says Lord you don't need to come to my house just say the word because I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me and Jesus had high praise for his faith didn't he That's the position Adam was in. Under authority of God with those under him. Now one thing we need to be clear on, though, regarding man's dominion, it was not a separate sovereign dominion, and since, as I just said, but because the earth remains the Lord's. That's the point of this. He created it. It's his. The Bible says that plainly. Also in, in Psalm 104, verse 24, it says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. They remain his. So Adam was God's representative on earth, and his dominion was a stewardship. A stewardship over God's possessions to be carried out wisely according to God's commands and wisdom. That's why it was so important for Adam to be made in God's image. And after his likeness. He was created a spiritual being. But he was created upright. In God's view. Being made in his image and his likeness. And created upright. In God's view that's what qualified him. To exercise dominion over the whole earth. No doubt there were many ways Adam was not like God. God has many attributes that belong only to him. But let's consider what ways Adam was like God. In particular, in what ways was he made in God's image after his likeness that qualified him to serve as God's representative on earth, taking responsibility for all God's possessions on earth? Are we able to discover that?
Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Does the Lord want us to obey him? Of course. Then we can be sure that he will reveal. He will reveal the things that we need to know when we have made his will our own. Because he wants us to do all the words of the law. We can learn a lot then by observing God, the self-revealing one. I want to just point to just the first three verses in in chapter 1 of Genesis. And just consider what we can observe about God in the creation act. The first step or two. As God begins we find that the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Now, this is just my impression, but I I cannot help but believe that God must have been thinking, reasoning, determining. I don't think it was idle time. Because then we find that the evidence that he wills, he has reasoned, And he's determined a course of action. He wills that there will be light. And so then he speaks. And that's the amazing thing. He speaks, let there be light. And there was light. (laughs) What power. God spoke light into existence. Out of nothing. He's not beholden to our uh, much lesser understanding of order. You know, when you read this chapter thinking at all, you, you, you can't help but be a little puzzled. Well, how has he created light? As we, the light's from the sun, and that doesn't happen for a couple days. That's not a problem with God. He decided there was to be light. He spoke it. There it is. <laughs> it's all being created out of nothing. That's, that's as hard or not hard for God as anything else. We should not have that as a stumbling point. And we can actually learn that something about God, not only his power, but that his knowledge, his wisdom is way beyond ours. And he did not feel it necessary to reveal to us, it seems, why he did that. So we don't need to know, evidently, We just need to know that's what he did and praise him for it. So these these acts are amazing, God's creative acts. But though we can't create like God, we can reason. And we have a will. And generally, we have the capacity or the power to speak and act within our limited sphere according to our reason and will. As we've considered something and we've determined a course of action, let's say, okay, that's our will. That's what we want to do. And so we speak and act in order to accomplish that. Not that we can, again, we have a limited sphere. We can't just do anything and everything. However, the point is God has created us 
that way. That is those capacities. Those, those are things that are like God. That's what he just did in creation again and again and again to get to this point. So the reason, the will, and the power to speak and act according to our reason and will, these are like God. And these very aspects sharply distinguish man from the lower creatures, which do not have that. God's knowledge is infinite. There are many things that are beyond our capacity to know or discover, but he delights to reveal to us those things that we should know so that we can obey them. And as we obey him, as we do his will, we glorify him. When we live as God intended, according to how he created us, we glorify him. We are made to reflect the glory of God. The moon reflects the glory of the sun, the brightness of it. God created us to be able to do that with his glory. He created us to be able to seek out his knowledge, his understanding, his wisdom, and to treasure his commands, and then to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Is that not how Jesus glorified the Father. In Proverbs 2, several verses that, that uh, have a body of information, I'm just kind of skipping through it, speaks of treasure, my son, you know, treasure my commands with, within you, and search as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. This is God's plan that we seek his will and wisdom and make them our own. As we do that, we become a brighter reflection of his glory each day. Isn't that what God intended for Adam to do? When he made a new creation, Adam at that point has done nothing in obedience to God. He, ha- he knows nothing. It, he's starting from zero. God is fine with that. But remember that God would come and walk with Adam and, and Eve in the cool of the day, daily. Adam was in constant contact. He had opportunity for God to teach him. He had opportunity to ask God for to seek his knowledge and wisdom. Because God had given him, starting right away, he began giving him responsibilities. He was just created. (laughs) God didn't make him like an animal that just operates by instinct. Instead, there's reason and will and the power to act that. But you need to know, Adam needed to know God's will. Specific will about things perhaps, but he also needed to be learning God's wisdom, his ways.
Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, Truly, this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. God made man upright. And the Lord made himself available to Adam, walking in the cool of the day, so that Adam might always seek his wisdom, lean on his counsel, and always and only speak and act according to God's will. Because Adam was God's representative. He was responsible for the whole earth and everything in it. But as a stewardship, it was to be done on behalf of God, his way, pleasing to God. But Adam sinned. It was a disobedience to a specific command, but it was more than just a simple disobedience, simply defined. It was him reasoning apart from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and willing to think and act independently, trusting in his own wisdom. And then he acted on that independent reasoning and will. Scripture in the New Testament confirms the context of speaking of both Adam and Eve. It acknowledges that Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't deceived. He disobeyed. He was cognizant of the situation. He determined to go his own way. And all we, like sheep, have gone astray, each one to his own way. Adam, as God's representative on earth, was also the representative of the human race. And we were all plunged into the darkness of sin and death with him. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. That second man, that's the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Even the rest of creation, though, suffers because of man's sin. Romans 8, verses 20 and 22. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it in hope. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Matthew Henry summarized it well in this lament concerning Adam's sin, man's fall. But how thou art fallen, O son of the morning! How is this image of God upon man defaced? How small are the remains of it, and how great the ruins of it! The Lord renew it upon our souls by his sanctifying grace. And that is the answer. God's sanctifying grace through Christ and the cross. What Adam lost, Jesus Christ bought back with his own blood. 
Romans 5, 19-21. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Note, even so grace might reign through righteousness. We're saved by grace through faith and and we receive his righteousness. But there's also the righteousness of living and walking. Grace is given not just that to have our sins forgiven. What, what Matthew Henry was referring to when he said, and how great the ruins of it. Do you think God would really be satisfied with just saying, okay, I forgive you? Meanwhile, his creation, his purpose, it's thwarted, it's ruined. No. No, Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is far more than just not, not to minimize, not to make small how great it is that, that his blood purchased our salvation, forgiveness of sins, purchased by his blood. But that's not the end of it. His purpose goes on. The image is to be renewed upon our souls by his sanctifying grace, using those words of Matthew Henry again. As another commentator put it, the image of God, this concrete essence of the divine likeness, was shattered by sin. And it is only through Christ, the brightness of the glory of God and the expression of his essence, Hebrews 1.3, that our nature is transformed into the image of God again. Brothers and sisters, that's God's purpose. He saves us and he calls us to a holy calling. His provision is that we might be new creations in Christ and to walk according to the new man We do have forgiveness, praise God. But we do have more than that. We should never think of the gospel message as a get-out-of-jail-free card or fire insurance. We are a new creation in Christ. Colossians 3.10 says this, "And, And you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Listen to those words. It's the image of God upon the new man. Renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Jesus Christ is the perfect image of God. Hebrews chapter 1, first three verses. 
says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, perfect, complete, explicit, That's Jesus. He is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. All authority has been given to me, heaven and earth, he said. This is our king. This is Christ, our savior. In Christ, we are called to walk in newness of life for the glory of God. We are called to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, to have the mind of Christ, and to impart grace and truth to one another. This is part of his plan. Listen to these verses in Ephesians chapter 4. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And then verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. We are to be active participants in God's imparting grace to us, all of us. As new creations together, once, perhaps we could think of it as we were once dry bones in that valley, many of them, very many of them, and very dry. raised to life by the breath of God. I feel it important to read a few verses out of John chapter 1. I I know this is likely the text for next week, but it's, it's such a strong connection here. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking of Jesus, the Son of God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him nothing was made that was made. And then verse 14. This is so important. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When that, the subject of that Ephesians passage regarding one another, when Jesus came, he came to seek and save the lost. But he came full of grace and truth. And that is connected to our walking 
with one another as new creations, walking in the new man. Pointing back to Adam's, uh, his calling when he was originally created uh, to take dominion and, and just repeat that he was under God's authority and, and he was to steward God's things. <clears throat> Something I think that is really, uh, there's, there's a confusion factor in our culture today regarding dominion, regarding authority. We, we have, through generations, actually, even when we have tried to maybe, some of us have been aware of it and, and tried to put the brakes on a little bit, uh, that's hard. There's, there's such a constant move, and it has a strong element of independence. It finds its way into our lives and our character in so many ways. And, and this, is, this is the crux of Adam's sin, and therefore it has to be something that we are aware of and praying for and helping one another, speaking truth with love and grace. Because dominion with independence is sin. Any kind of taking of authority independent of God is sin. It's the very sin that subjected the whole human race. It can't be our purpose, our individual purpose at some point. Because that's how it happens. We use our reasoning. We direct our wills to accomplish our will. What we think is best. God would not have us, you know, hamstrung where he can't do anything. We, but, it's, but it's not a small thing. It's, it's not a, 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 a small importance that we walk in the spirit, that we know the mind of the Lord, that we have the mind of Christ. And that means, according to Philippians, to have the mind of Christ means we have taken his same path of humility. We're not doing our own will. He says, I've come to do your will, O God. You've prepared a body for me. I'm here. He came, he dwelt among us. And never did his own will. It's not that he didn't have another will. I mean, what was that conversation about in the garden? Not my will, but yours. He had a different will. He, without sin, nevertheless, was not without temptation in terms of the the cravings of his flesh. He took on man's body he got hungry in the wilderness he was Satan tried to tempt him with a shortcut something less than full humility all the way to the cross as, as Philippians says we are called to have that mind have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus be alert for independent Decision, purpose. And something else that I think is, a, is important to see in terms of uh, Adam's 
dominion over the earthly creatures. And James chapter 3, verse 7 through 9 says this, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Man, even in his sinful state, has been able to tame creatures. But no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. That's us. The last frontier, the tongue. But Jesus showed us how to do it. Let's follow him. Let's humble ourselves before him and for one another and help one another by speaking truth and love to one another. Jesus said in Matthew 5 or 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the, for the righteousness of Christ in the gospel. But also blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in, their, in walking as they are called. Second Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And down a few verses speaking of how Satan uh, have blinded the minds the God of this age blinded the minds who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. I just want to make a a strong connection for us of the, the complete gospel that is God's intention to having saved us, having raised us to new life, we who were dead in trespasses and sins. He saved us for a purpose. Because if you read on down, and Steve was just reading some of that passage today, when you get down to verse 10, you find that though we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, you know, no one can boast, but yet we're created for good works in Christ. We're called. And those aren't just some good deeds that we can list you know, on, on a piece of paper. Here's some good things to do. Each one of those things, it's important that we walk in obedience to God That's the most important part of it. To not walk, think, will, and act independently of our Savior and King. Judas, not Iscariot, asks the the one thoughtful and intelligent question in that chapter after a few really poor questions by some of the other disciples. So we hear one thing out of this disciple, but it's clear 
he asked about, Lord, because Jesus had just said he's going to manifest himself to them but not to the world. How is it you're going to do that? How are you going to manifest yourself to, to us and not to the world? And this is Jesus' answer. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Each one of us is called. If we are alive in Christ, we are called to walk in obedience. And as we do that, Father will love us and come and make our, his home with us. And when, we, when he does that, and when we walk together as he has instructed us, think about from John 14, as you read on through 15, 16, and 17, how Jesus poured out his heart before going to the cross in prayer, that his disciples would be one. want to uh, bring to our remembrance last week's prophecy in Ezekiel 37. Dry bones. God, as, as, he, as Ezekiel obeys, prophesying to these dry bones. God does the work, connects them with sinews, puts flesh on them, covers them with skin. There they are, they're now they need breath. He prophesies, God breathes new life. They live, they stand on their feet. But then God says, after that, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Just like I did with these bones, he says, I will raise you up out of your graves, restore you, put my spirit in you, and you shall live. But, but then Further, he says, I will bring together the whole house of Israel and make them one. He has Ezekiel take two sticks, Judah, Israel, and puts them together and they become one in his hand as he's prophesying. I will bring them together and make them one, cleanse them from their defilement, give them one king, one shepherd, And I will make an everlasting covenant of peace with them and set my sanctuary in their midst forever. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That phrase is scattered throughout Old Testament prophets. I will be their God and they shall be my people. But I want to go back in closing and read some verses from Ephesians. We were there earlier in chapter 4. Where it talked of uh, putting on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That chapter begins with Paul saying, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. To walk worthy of our calling. 
I pray that God will help us to, to, uh, to see and remember and think, even in terms of the first chapter of Genesis, the connection between God's intention for Adam and the fact that in the gospel there is a restoration and now his purpose can, can go on if we walk worthy of his calling. Because his intention, just as he said in these Old Testament prophecies where he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Ephesians 2. This is the latter part of the chapter where he talks about us being made alive in him who were dead in trespasses. So he does that great work of salvation, forgiveness of sins, raising to life. But then he's going somewhere with it. In the latter verses, starting at verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now he's speaking of, you know, they're aware of the Jewish tradition and history. Now, whether Jew or Gentile, they're one. And having been built on the foundation, the one foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. A temple for the Lord's presence. This is what he prophesied and promised again and again in the Old Testament. Here it is. And then further, it says, in whom you also, now he's talking about to these particular believers in this particular place, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God always intended, on on just a single man basis, Adam, God always intended for him to, to respond like Jesus responded. Adam was not yet sinful. He hadn't done that yet. God created him upright. He could have chosen to do God's will. God has restored that for each one in Christ. You now, each one, can do his will like Jesus. And as you do, you become more and more after his image, like his image, after his likeness. And more and more reflecting his glory, just like 2 Corinthians 3 talks about, as we keep looking at him and become more and more like him, as we keep receiving his grace, encouraging one another, because it's not now just an individual thing. We're now walking this and living this together. And his intention, this his intention was that Adam would would be able then to receive the life of God in some greater measure. Remember that after the sin, he drove them out of the garden and blocked their access to the tree of life. This is in chapter 3. So that they would not seal themselves forever away from God's presence. That was his mercy. 
God's intention is always that we partake of the tree of life forever. And we have the great privilege and the responsibility, the obligation to walk together, encouraging one another to walk in obedience, humility, with the mind of Christ. May the Lord help us and encourage us, and may we encourage each other much, because we need it. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. I pray that your spirit would do your perfect work to stir our souls. May your word be that living and active edge that touches us where we need to be touched and brings light where we need light. We pray, Father, that we could be stirred to to be alert to the schemes of the enemy of our souls. To be alert for ourselves and alert for one another that we may be together be a dwelling place of your spirit. Amen.